Welcome to a podcast about wealth and life. We all know that our finances play a big part in how we live our lives. In this podcast, the advisors from Foster and Motley share insights and information about investment and financial planning topics and how they connect to your life. Save for college with a 529 plan. Sounds easy, straightforward, but wait. You may need an advanced degree or a trusted financial advisor to understand all the rules, investment options, tax advantages, and qualified uses of the funds. Well, Foster & Motley's Nick Roth, one such advisor, is with me, Patrice Sikora, to offer a mini-course on 529s. So, Nick, what is a 529 account? Hi, Patrice. A 529 account is a tax-advantaged savings vehicle that can help parents fund educational expenses for their children. And the government wants to encourage people to be educated. So they provide these tax advantages that I referenced in order to help people save for that expense that we all know is coming. Now, does it have to be a parent to child? It doesn't have to be, no. Uh, anyone can open a 529 account to benefit anyone else, so long as both the owner and the beneficiary have valid social security numbers or tax ID numbers. There's no requirement that the owner or beneficiary be related, but obviously that is what we see most often. All right. Now, this is the thing that gets me. Every state sponsors their own plan, and we all know states never agree. For example... The state of Kentucky does not offer a state tax deduction for contributions. Uh, they have their own college fund that they've created called Keys Money, so they don't feel a need to offer an additional tax deduction for 529 plans. Meanwhile, the state of Ohio offers a $4,000 deduction per year per beneficiary. Therefore, each family, and this is on a annual basis can get a $4,000 deduction for each child that they make a contribution for. And this is how most states operate. There is some cap on the annual amount of deductions that they can make. Um, however, there are three states that offer an unlimited deduction, and that's West Virginia, New Mexico, and South Carolina. Now, I'll just add one caveat that there are gift tax rules that need to be considered. So you can't just make an unlimited deduction without worrying about the, or an unlimited contribution rather, without worrying about those gifting laws. But for tax purposes, you can take an unlimited deduction on those state tax returns. And how about a, a lifetime contribution? Is there a limit there? There are life, lifetime contribution limits. However, I would say most people don't need to worry about these. Each state does set their own lifetime contribution limit. And there's most commonly two ways that these are determined. There's either a aggregate contribution amount uh, where you can make contributions up to X dollar and then you have to stop. Or there's a maximum account value threshold where once an account exceeds a certain value, then you can no longer make contributions to the account. Uh, for example, the state of Ohio follows the maximum account value threshold, and it's currently set at $517,000. So most people are not worried about covering a college expense that large. So like I said, it won't apply to everyone. Um, but if your balance were to exceed that amount, 
then you would be uh, no longer able to make contributions. Some states are as low as $235,000. Their their cap on contributions can be set that low. So like I said, depending on the state and depending on the college costs that you are trying to cover, uh, that may or may not apply to you. 235000 you may hit that <laughs> when it comes to the costs anyway. Absolutely. I mean, we're seeing some private institutions run in the seventy to $80,000 a year cost range. So um, that's, that's certainly doable for some people. All right. Now, this money is put into investments. Does each state have a different investment lineup? Yeah, each state uh, kind of contracts out the work or or does it in-house, honestly, to different investment advisors. So for example, uh, maybe Vanguard runs some state plans and BlackRock runs other state plans. And um, so there's a different investment lineup for every state. And those can range from very low cost and high quality to maybe a little less quality and a little higher cost. Um, so it's important to know what options are available in your state. And I would say most states provide a lineup that includes some kind of time horizon fund that allows you to just choose the time period that your child is going to be starting college as the target. And the fund will actually reduce the risk within the fund over the time period that you invest until that child gets closer and closer to college and the funds are needed now and most of the account would become in, uh, invested in cash and bonds that are that are very liquid. So just a, as an example, according to Forbes, New York, Massachusetts, New Hampshire, Ohio, Illinois, and Oregon are the top ranked plans at the moment. And hmm. Forbes considers fees, tax benefits, contribution limits, and the investment options within the account in order to make their rankings. So kind of all the things that we've talked about to this point, you know, Forbes has ranked those six states as having the best plans. All right. You live in Ohio. You've got your 529 in Ohio. Your kid grows up in Ohio. Does the kid have to go to a school in Ohio? Great question. No, they do not. And that's the nice thing about 529 plans and why they're, it's one of the reasons that they're set up at a federal level, but states uh, are managing the plans is that there needed to be some uniformity in the fact that as parents, you know that your child might not attend a school in mm -hmm. the state that you're currently living in. And even beyond that, you may not be living in the state that you're currently living in in 18 years when you're child is about to attend college. Um, so with all that being said, any state's 529 plan can be used to fund education in any of the other 50 states. And we've actually had clients successfully use those funds to fund schools in other countries as well. So there are some requirements um, for foreign institutions and even domestic institutions that need to be reached. Uh, most traditional colleges that you think of easily qualify, just so you know, there, there are opportunities to use those funds abroad as well. Nick, these funds have to be used for qualified education expenses, correct? What, what is that definition? Absolutely. So a qualified education expense is commonly thought of as tuition, but it can also include fees that are charged by the institution, room and board, and textbooks. 
There are also uh, other items, most commonly thought of like computers, that are allowed to be used by the 529 and, and qualify under this qualified educational expenses definition, um, but they must be required by the university. Now, obviously, most universities will require students to have a computer in, in this day and age, um, but it can also apply to a few other things like off-campus housing, but only to the extent that the cost does not exceed the cost of on-campus housing. So there's some wiggle room there within the definition of qualified educational expenses. I'll also note that tuition doesn't necessarily need to apply to a traditional four-year university. Tuition can be paid to, uh, for example, a trade school. Um, but that trade school needs to meet certain requirements under the rules of the 529. Suppose you take money out of the account and it does not get used for a qualified education expense. What are we talking about? There's got to be a penalty, right? Yeah, Patrice, there is a penalty, but it's relatively small in the grand scheme of things. Um, and, and this is a little technical, so I'll, I'll try and make it as clear as possible. Um, but Let's say that you have a ten thousand uh, dollar need for the money, and the only place you can get it from is the five twenty nine. Uh, and let's say that you originally put in five thousand dollars, and that five thousand grew to ten thousand. So the withdrawn amount will be broken out into two components: the growth component and the principal component. Uh, in this example, that's five thousand dollars each. Only on the growth component, the, the second 5000 you would be assessed a 10% penalty, and then you would also be required to pay ordinary income taxes on the growth. Like I said, in the grand scheme of things, that's a relatively small penalty, especially when we consider that some IRS penalties can be as much as 50% of the entire amount. So there's really a, the government wants to encourage people to save for college. So they've kept the penalty rather small in the hopes that doesn't deter people from saving, but also deters people from uh, abusing the program. All right, you're a smart kid. You get a full ride. You don't need the 529. Well, what do you do? Yeah, this is a tough situation that some people have certainly found themselves in, tough in, in a good way. There, there's a few options, and depending on how soon you realize that your child may or may not need these funds, we can make changes. So uh, the government has recently passed legislation that allows for a $10,000 per year withdrawal for public or private K through eight, or I'm sorry, K through 12 expenses. Um, so you can start using the funds that you've saved when the child was young for uh, high school or even grade school expenses. The other option, that's capped at $10,000 a year. So there's a limited benefit that you can get from doing that. But the other option, if you have multiple children or maybe another family member that you would like to benefit from these funds, all 529 accounts can be transferred to a new beneficiary at the owner's discretion without any penalty or cost. So if you're saving for, uh, let's say you have a 15 and a 10 year old and your 15 year old is now on track to get a full ride, you can always change the beneficiary back to your 10 year old and benefit them for college. So that's one of the variables that's that's very unknown and, and has been unknown. The cost of college education has just risen significantly for, for many decades. Um, 
Luckily, I'll say that parents have started to see relief over the last decade. Um, since 2012, college costs have only inflated by about 2.82%, which is only a percent higher than the traditional inflation we've experienced over that same time, uh, which has been about 1.89%. But if you start looking back a, a little bit further and the 20-year period prior to that, college inflation averaged about 6.44% compared to tra traditional inflation, which was only 2.55%. So there was a there was a long period of time where uh, cost of college was growing significantly faster than than the rest of things you're used to paying for. All right, we talked briefly about if you get a full ride, what you can do with the 529. But if you have a 529 available, when you apply for financial aid, what does that do? 529 accounts do impact an individual's eligibility for financial aid. But that depends on multiple factors, including who owns the account and what distributions are taken out of the account. The, this information is all reported on FAFSA, the form that the government uses to determine financial aid. On that form, parents' assets, which 529 accounts would be included in, contribute to the smallest portion of impacting a student's eligibility. Um, a student's assets contribute to the largest portion to fund their own education. And therefore, that would be a, a bigger strike against a student for qualifying. However, we often see a grandparent owning an account for the benefit of a child. And grandparents' 529 assets do not count towards this reporting requirement. However, or I should say to the point, to the extent that distributions have not been taken from the account. If there's a withdrawal from a 529 plan to benefit a child, that is now reportable on the FAFSA form and it's counted as a unearned income item for the child. And unearned income has the largest negative impact on qualifying for financial aid. So to the extent possible, taking withdrawals from grandparents directly from grandparents' 529s to pay for college, we would recommend doing that later in the educational cycle in order to reduce the income reportable as a child on this form. The other way to go about it would be to change the ownership from the grandparent to the parent and then those assets are just reported in the parents' assets as usual, and that has a smaller impact. So there's ways around this eligibility criteria, um, but obviously working with a financial advisor or potentially even someone at a university who can help guide you through that is extremely important to make sure you're uh, following all the procedures if you think you would otherwise qualify for financial aid. Do brokerage firms offer 529s? Brokerage firms do offer 529s, and they can provide potentially a better suite of investment options if your state has particularly poor investment options. However, they are limited in the fact that they're required to be set up through one individual state. Uh, so firms like Charles Schwab or BlackRock do offer their own 529 accounts, and they do have some very good investment options. But 
they're limited in the fact that they can only be set up in one state. So you may be foregoing some tax benefits that you could otherwise receive from your state-specific plan by using these providers. Um, or you may live in a state like Kentucky or Florida where there either is no state tax benefit um, or there is no state income tax. And so this is irrelevant to you and you're just looking for the best investment option. And in that case, this might be the option for you. Well, then what is the first step that a parent or a grandparent or whomever wishes to set up a 529, what is the first step they should take? That's a great question, Patrice. And as with all financial decisions, at the end of the day, you really got to start with what are your goals, right? 529 plans can be a great way to help a young person achieve an incredible education, but there may be other ways to accomplish this same goal that make more sense for your particular situation. So with that in mind, we would always recommend first talking to a financial advisor in order to confirm that a 529 really is the best thing to do and the best way to achieve this goal. Um, and then the next step is really finding, once you've confirmed that this is the route that you want to go, finding a state plan that provides the most benefit for your particular situation. And how can they reach an advisor at Foster & Motley? Yeah, if you'd like to speak with anyone here at Foster & Motley, you can always reach us via our website and schedule an introductory call. Uh, at fosterandmotley.com. Um, and if you don't have an advisor and would just like some basic information, uh, we found savingforcollege.com is a great resource that includes information on all state plans and a lot of just generic college information as well. Nick, thanks so much. And everyone, there's no better time to start saving for college than now. The folks at Foster and Motley can help guide you through the 529 process. Follow this podcast for more on this and many other money topics. And don't be stingy. Share with others. I'm Patrice Sikora, and thanks for being with us. Thank you for listening to Foster & Motley, a podcast about wealth and life. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information discussed and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Foster & Motley. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional financial advice. Keep in mind that rules and regulations are subject to change. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions regarding your financial planning and investments. Foster & Motley is not affiliated with any third-party providers. Any mention of a third-party provider does not imply an endorsement of that provider. If you decide to utilize a third-party provider, you do so at your own risk.